Welcome to the Mental Health Boot Camp Podcast, the bootcast, where three Canadians and one American serve you cutting-edge mental health knowledge. I am Ryan. I'm Chris. I am Brooke. And I'm Joanna. Welcome, everybody. We're here for another night. You made it back. And... uh, we're trying to improve. We're always trying to improve the podcast. We've got a different little recording situation going on here. We're hoping that uh, people can hear us more clearly because we don't want people to lose all this wisdom we're dropping because of technical difficulties, right? It's true. Last week, it sounded like Brooke and I were in a tin can. <laughs> Two little sardines. <laughs> Hopefully, this week is a little bit better. A little bit. You're a little bit canny still, Brooke, but we'll see. <laughs> you know what? Maybe it's me. <laughs> <laughs> this is what Brooke what if, like. what if I always have like, an, echo? an echo around me? Uh, always uncanny. Eh? Always uncanny. So uh, anything new, guys, uh, before we dive into our topic? Anything uh, hot and, and interesting in your world? Hmm. hmm. Not much going on. You know what? This past week uh, really flew by, I feel. So it's a little bit of a blur, but uh, uh, a lot of good moments, though, in terms of uh, working with clients and got out for some walks and uh, stayed on top of all my reports and and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. a very uh, very satisfying week and also got into a new Netflix show. I was only going to watch one episode last night and I ended up watching four. Oh, what was it? Yeah. Uh, it's called, it's a British crime show called Broad Church. Oh. Yeah, it's very good. It hooked me. Yes. I got sucked uh, into a show called The Money Heist a few weeks ago. I've heard about that one, uh, Ryan. Uh, Money Heist? Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a, it was filmed in Spain, and uh, you could either watch it with subtitles or they've overdubbed it. So I watched the overdubbed version. And holy cow, holy adrenaline, everybody. The show is a, a pulse-pounding, <laughs> every-minute sort of a show. It's wild. <laughs> yes. Watch it if you like intensity. It reminded me of the show 24. I don't know if you guys ever watched that back in the day, but mm. it's like always a cliffhanger. You just can't stop watching. Ugh. Awesome. That sounds great. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. I'm watching the world. Toughest prisons is that what it's called on Netflix? Mm. It's, um, it's okay. It's uh, obviously there's like a system to the show, like it's the same thing on repeat. Like this is what it's like for intake here and then medium security. This is what it's like to work in the kitchen. Now I'm gonna see solitary confinement, and now I'm gonna see what minimum security is, and I'm gonna talk to whoever's running the prison. So it's the same thing, but um, uh. Chris and I belong to the Rotary, and there's a Rotary club up here who does some work with the prison in Belize. And word on the street was Belize, the Belize prison was featured in this, so I wanted to check that out. Belize, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So it's not just prisons in, I mean, not just local. It's it's around the world, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. It's all over Great. the place. So it's interesting to see how different people do different things and mm-hmm. the conditions. Um, the conditions are horrifying, really, what they're very inhumane, and I don't know how they even get away with it. Hmm. Um, yeah, interesting. It is. It is. Uh, Joe, are you watching anything? Might as well 
complete the circle here. Uh, nothing on the go. I still have to finish Parks and Recreation. Mm. I don't know if anyone's watched that, but I just like to, I find comfort in going back to movies I've seen. I think after a long day of work, I like to know what I'm going to watch. I don't have the brain power to pay attention to a show or a movie or what if I'm disappointed. So I like to kind of go to the ones I've watched probably 10, 15 times. It's comfort for me. So it's relaxing. I've heard that that mentioned before that like the coronavirus like nostalgia viewing is uh, is is very big these days. Mm. Like, okay. like the Office and Friends and a lot of shows that people kind of grew up with or came of age with or whatever they're watching those shows because it kind of brings them back to a more peaceful time or more nostalgic time. Yeah, it works, and I could do stuff at the same time if I happen to look at my phone or be cooking dinner or something. So it's just kind of. Yeah, but Money Heist, I think that's on my list. I've been recommended that before, so. Watch it. Don't don't expect it to be a relaxing, <laughs> chilled out Eve, because it, no. uh, it is a, oh boy, adrenaline rush. Great show. Um, and also for me, I have, I'm happy to say that my dog is only getting up one and a half times a night. So I'm getting a Woo! little, so that's nice. That's good. Are there any uh, racquetball games named after your dog yet? Any Lexi ball or anything like that? <laughs> no, no, we have not uh, taken over pickleball or anything like that. We're just just enjoying a puppy and uh, and trying to keep up with her. Really, she's a handful. A lot of fun though. Oh, that's great. Lots of fun. So, okay, we are. We're ready here, as is as is customary with the Mental Health Bootcamp podcast. We wait for one of us to drop an ambush question. The three of us, the rest of us, have not. We don't know what's there. We don't know what uh, what we're gonna find. So tonight is Chris. He is up. So do you want? Do you have any right. intro for this, Chris? Or what do you want to say? Uh, it's. I think it's gonna speak for itself. It's uh, a little straightforward, but I'm very curious to get everyone's perspective on this. Okay. All right. You just sent me a text message with the topic of the night. Here we go. I'm going to sit up straight. All right. I'm ready. Get ready. It's like an episode of the money heist. You never know what's going to happen next. Okay. Let's talk about grief. Does everyone, does everyone experience grief after a loss? Are there stages of grief? What strategies can you suggest to assist with grief? Whoa. That is a big topic there, Sibo. Big topic, a major topic, especially right now. I feel like grief is a major part of what everyone's going through right now, but I'll save that. Okay, first thing, uh, does everyone experience grief after a loss is the first question. What are your thoughts? I've never really thought about it. It's my initial thought. I've never questioned it. So now I'm trying to, I feel like for it to be a loss, there would be a reaction after. I, I, I'm, I don't, I'm thinking, I mean, there's some losses where if it's a loss that you were kind of hoping for, like it might be a relief, right? Like I lost my, I lost my, 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 my cancer went into a remission. I lost the fear of that. So now it's no longer there. Or I lost, um, you know, a, 
someone in my life who was annoying moved away. I lost them, so that feels good. Could that is that sort of the thing we're, we might be talking about, Chris? Yeah, I guess so. I, you know, I, I threw that question out there because I definitely have met people before who have experienced maybe a loss of a loved one or um, the loss of abilities, and and I feel that there's a subjectivity there in terms of how people respond to it, right? So maybe uh, how I feel they might react isn't always the case, right? And also some people are shocked. Some people are absolutely devastated by a loss. Well, whereas other people are not, and they feel kind of worried about that. Sometimes they feel that there's something wrong with them because they're not grieving, you know? So I just wanted to maybe capture, again, how subjective this process is, right? And see if we can try to make some sense of it uh, for, for people out there. Great. I, I feel that there is like grief that goes with a loss, um, but then we would have to, you know, come up with defining or describing what grief is in the process, which is one of your questions, because somebody might go through grief, like, uh, I think that you could grieve different ways depending on what the loss is. So you don't have to necessarily grieve the same way if you're going to grieve the loss of a close loved one versus grieving the loss of a job that you didn't like, um, you might go through a different process or the intensity of that would be different. But I think there would still be a feeling associated with it. Yeah, I agree, Brooke. I think there's, I think grief is generally, well, in my opinion, I think if you experience some kind of loss, whether a de death of a loved one, um, or we can go into other forms of loss, of course, but I think the reaction that you might have, whether mental, emotional, um, or distress of some kind is considered grief, or that's what I would consider grief. So, 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 so Joanna, our, our, Joanna and I's dad, he's a psychologist and, uh, he special specializes a lot in grief. And, uh, he once said that when grief is too neat and tidy, he's often too, he's kind of concerned about that. Um, because he said when there's a lot of emotions and a lot of variability, often, um, that's kind of part of the process, right? Um, so it kind of brings up an interesting point. If someone is not really showing overt signs, outward signs of grief, is, is that concerning? Um, because sometimes down the road, um, you know, we have, you know, these unresolved grief situations and then start, you know, behaviors and thoughts and intensive feelings start to show up, right? Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because yeah, there can be delayed grief, right? That's a possibility. Um, but I, I wonder too, because this would also spin into cultural components. Different cultures are going to experience grief in different ways and express grief in different ways. So uh, yeah. being sensitive to that and, and as therapists, how our clients behave in the therapy room isn't necessarily how they're going to be behaving at home in private or, or whatnot, or even you know, we have our truth bias, so we're going to believe what they're saying, but they may not be completely forthcoming or vulnerable, especially around grief, which is extremely vulnerable to share with someone. Um, so we might not even be getting an accurate, accurate depiction. Sure. I, I guess, if you don't mind me chiming in, I, one thing that I, I confront with my clients a lot of times is is an idea, and maybe this is something that's, that's in the States more than in Canada, but... Um, this idea that grief is, is a problem. Grief in, in itself is pathological. Like we need to, 
oh, you're grieving, you need to medicate that, you need to um, like hurry up and get through that. And so like down here, it's not uncommon for me to hear someone, you know, they lose a loved one, they lose a spouse, they lose a, a kid or something like that. And immediately they go to their doctor for medication to try to not feel that. And then, um, you know, whether through anxiety meds or depression meds, they just want to kind of medicate out of that or stay so busy with either the funeral preparations or whatever else they're doing so that they just don't have to feel it. And then inevitably what I, what I see from that is, is a few months later, maybe they get off the meds and then their body still has to go through the grieving process. I mean, this is grief is a natural process that everyone has to go through at one time or another. And I feel like we don't really need to teach someone how to grieve as much as we need to teach them how to stop avoiding grief. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's something we need to all go through when, when we've experienced a loss and, uh, and really stop pathologizing it because it's actually the way that we get over something or we get through something is through the grief process. It's almost like the grief is inevitable, Ryan. Uh, mm -hmm. Like we, we, whether or not you're going to admit it, you're experiencing grief. There's going to be some distress, some feeling of mm -hmm. um, suffering from that loss in some way, whether you're not able to think properly, whether you're fatigued, whether you're emotionally distraught. Uh, and so whether you're going to admit it or not, it's happening to you. So I think the act of actually um, finding outlets for it or kind of facing it a little bit or helping yourself through it um, is what I think a lot of people sometimes struggle with. And it totally depends on so many different factors, right? But yeah. So, so I guess what you're trying to say, Joe, is there is going to be some level of grief there. Even if you yeah. perceive the loss in a pretty healthy way, maybe have um, a strong faith, um, maybe, you know, there's a way for you to interpret it. Um, so it's not devastating to you. Uh, you. You feel that there's still some level of grief that's happening there. I think so. I think it, and it, it doesn't need to be a negative thing. Uh, and I, I'm not saying that's what you're saying. I no, think no. it's it's just the acknowledgement that there's some form of loss. And for people, if it's a positive thing or they can depend on, yeah, like you said, faith or something to help them move through it, great. But I think, um, yeah, in my thoughts, there's grief experienced for loss. Just to throw something else out there, I, I think all, all loss requires some bit of grieving. Um, but I will distinguish that I believe that there's a, there is a difference between a loss that's inanimate versus a loss that's personal. Like it's a, a, they call that an attachment loss, right? When someone has a strong attachment with somebody, some person, and that person either rejects them or goes away or dies or, or something like that. I think there is something that reaches us on a, on a deeper sort of interpersonal level. I think that all of us, in the world experienced some degree of grief and loss uh, with the coronavirus. I think that's, you know, with the change in our routines and our schedules, I think we, we all had to grieve kind of the, the loss of a routine. But I do think there's something a, a little bit deeper when it comes to strong attachments that we have with other people. Yeah, for sure. I think sometimes um, people are unaware of the process or, or maybe there's uh, social norms, right? Like for guys that, oh, you got to be tough. You got to suck it up. You're going to move on. And uh, yeah, it's already been mentioned. It's a bit of a stigma there, you know, when you're grieving, which is, uh, of course, um, it's, it's a bad situation. You want people to, to embrace it and to feel the feelings, right? Absolutely. So you mentioned here 
so we kind of talked through a bit of uh, does every loss include grief, but are there really stages of grief? You know, we'll talk about mm -hmm. uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, uh, her work with the stages of dying. Um, what do you guys know about that? Work? Quickly, what can we identify those just for? I know there's denial. Sure, sure, sure. Dabda is what people often refer to. So denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. So denial being like, oh no, and this is, and so here's one of the big problems with the, the whole idea of the stages of grief is it was initially Elizabeth Kubler Ross was was studying people who were terminally ill, and she was talking to them about <laughs> about um, their experience of you know getting the diagnosis and then how they coped with that up through their death. <laughs> And yeah. so it was about, uh, you know, how did they cope? So the first being denial. Oh, no, 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 that can't be true. The test must be wrong. I'm, I'm fine. That sort of thing. Anger, like, damn it, why did this happen? And, you know, who screwed this up for me? Or whatever that might be, the anger that comes out. A bargaining, which is, well, maybe if I just did this, or maybe if we did that, or maybe, maybe I make a pact with God, or maybe I try this experimental treatment or something like that to try to get out of it somehow, right? Uh, then there's the depression, which is really like really feeling the sadness of, okay, this is really happening and I'm losing a lot right now. And then getting to the acceptance of saying, okay, I'm at peace with this. I guess I'm, I'm good to go. So that's, that's the shorthand of the stages of, of, of dying from Elizabeth Cooper Ross. Right. Right. So there is a, a book that suggests three other stages or a different, different stage model. And so the stages proposed are, the first is shock, the second is disorganization, and I have low battery, and the third is reorganization. Okay. So what the book proposes is that each of the stages, I'm going to move now and plug my phone in and lose the video, um, that each of the stages is, there isn't a timeline to it, there isn't a right way or a wrong way, so it's a very acceptance-based model of you go through those. So um, somebody might go through shock in 24 hours, or somebody might take months to go through shock, because maybe they have to triage uh, organizing the person's affairs or whatnot, assuming that the grief is the loss of a person, right? And then we go into this state of disorganization, which everything is chaotic. Um, emotions are up and down. Uh, you might not have a structure or routine, all these different things. And then we go into reorganization of life where there is that acceptance of the loss and then we revamp and reset. And how am I going to move forward without the presence of what I have lost? Hmm. And I, I like that model because it really is is going to take however long it's going to take and it's going to respect your cultural um, beliefs or values around grieving. And if you need to cry, go for it. If you're stoic, okay, um, whatever that might be. And I've had a lot of clients resonate with it for other losses as well, whether it's like attachment trauma, an attachment loss of rejection or an end of a relationship. Um, or other losses, right? Like moving or whatnot. So, yeah, I like that one. I like those pages. Um, do me a favor, Brooke. Send me that, and uh, and we'll send me the reference to that, and I'll include it in the notes for the podcast. All right, and people can look at look for it and read about it themselves. Cool. That's great. Sounds good. Yeah, I definitely like those uh, those steps more. Kubler Ross, it's interesting because, as Brian mentioned, 
it was uh, developed for those who are dying and um, and ultimately uh, was adopted by uh, lots of people who are actually going through the grief process, right? And then uh, I think she developed those stages in the late 60s. And for the longest time, it was extremely influential, those steps, right? Um, until maybe more recently, they realized that there's actually not a ton of empirical research to back those steps. That being said, a lot of people find them meaningful and they've actually I've met a ton of people who have, uh, it's actually helped them navigate through the grief process, right? Yeah. So I think in a way, uh, you know, instead of there just being five stages or whatever it might be, I think there's actually hundreds of stages of grief depending on that individual. And I think uh, trying to, again, just trying to normalize that for people, right? Definitely. Yeah, I agree, Chris. I think um, people do find some comfort in it, right? They're like, ah, other people are feeling this. This is normal. I'm not kind of um, all these really strong emotions. They fit in somewhere. Um, when I talk to clients, though, and I think I get a, I, this ripples away from uh, or learn from a dad because our dad, for those listening, has um, been a psychologist for over 40 years and he does a lot of grief work. And so, you know, he acknowledges that there are the people, uh, the Kubler-Ross stages, but he also talks about how he actually kind of goes away from those and talks more that grief is just so subjective and really normalizes that it's, um, it could be different for everyone. And that sometimes the stages can, if people tie themselves to those um, they might feel like they're doing something wrong or they're not grieving the way they need to, or if they skip and really the stages actually aren't, you need to go through them sequentially. I believe, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, That's true. That's true. but you can, you can go back and forth or, you know, and I don't think a lot of people know that. So I think it's pretty mainstream, but, um, the way I talk to clients is that it's just super subjective and there's no timeline and, um, there's just so many different things to kind of teach them about that. Well, let me uh, let me push you guys a little bit here personally. Like, if you think about things you've had to grieve in your own life, um, does it seem to follow stages? Does it seem to follow waves, or or just uh, you know, is there anything there that uh, that seems like a common process for you to to work through grief? Uh, for me, I guess I would say um, I like to think of it. Do I experience? Yeah, I, I definitely don't uh, conceptualize it in the stage way. I think of whatever feelings or emotions come up um, because different, depending on the type of loss of experience, I'll go with uh, some um, a friend. Um, I didn't, there's not necessarily each of those different stages of experience. So for me, it's the waves. I feel like really strong at first, a lot of emotions earlier days are a lot heavier you're more impacted by it. You think about that loss a lot more and then you might kind of find some normalcy and kind of get back into the routine of life or whatever that looks like. And then you might be hit by another wave one day and then the next day you're fine. So the waves can kind of hit you whenever they might come more frequently and then kind of lessen as time goes on. So that's kind of how I would think about mm -hmm. it personally. Yeah. And yeah. Then it's up to me if I kind of ride that wave, if I avoid the wave altogether, um, if I avoid all those feelings completely, then they don't go anywhere and that could not necessarily help me move through it, right? So. True. Yeah, I think what you said, Joe, really resonated with me too, um, in terms of just kind of when experiencing some grief, kind of going into flow and, and yeah, the feelings, the, like I described it, the waves of the feelings, right? And, uh, you know, helps to, express them and, and to connect and but also there's the self-care stuff which we kind of touched on last week in regard to 
the, the stress in the body. So a bit of overlap there. But uh, yeah, I don't think I've followed the steps per se in regard to my personal grieving. I would agree with you, Chris. Uh, I, I mean, I do think that each of those have their place though. I've, every time I've, I've lost something, whether it's losing, you know, I've lost jobs, I've lost relationships, um, and I've lost loved ones. And I will certainly say that, you know, it's kind of the, the, the unfortunate news for people who have lost, lost a loved one, but particularly someone who's close to them is it, you don't, it's not like you get over it and like, forget about it and it's gone forever. No, you know, I, uh, you know, a lot of people lose someone and they're still feeling some bit of grief years or decades later because something reminds them of that or, or you know, they're not in it all the time, uh, but they can certainly be kind of teleported back to that moment and, and feel it again. And I guess if you can make peace with that and kind of come to an acceptance of that and say, you know what, this is the way that I remember this person. And, you know, there's a, there's a bittersweetness to this memory. Um, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe that's actually some way to, to keep a hold of the person that you've lost. It's almost like there's not this um, pressure to get over it, right? I think right. it's, no, there's a loss. There might be that little hole there and you're going to learn to kind of live your life around that and things might bring you back to that. And you kind of, like you said, make peace or have your reminders. But yeah, um, I think some people are like, they might even put time constraints or it's been months or it's been a year. I'm still not over it. And it's like, that's okay. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Let's, let's find out how to make this easier for you. Or how are you grieving? How are you expressing that grief? What supports are you finding for yourself? Um, a lot of people expect time to heal. Um, but if people actually don't take the time and effort to do the healing, you can go years and be stuck in your grief or not fully resolve grief. Absolutely. I think it's, I think in Western culture and I'm not sure exactly what it's like in Canada, but I know down here people, you know, someone loses a loved one and, and the boss will say, Hey, take the weekend off and we'll see you in, on Monday. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, kind of expect like, you'll just get right back in the game. And if you look globally, there are many cultures out there where, okay, you lost someone in your family. You've got a year to grieve. Like that's it. You know, you wear black every day, you, you cry and you, you, you know, feel all your feelings a lot for a, for an extended period of time, because that's what grief requires for some mm -hmm. folks, you know, and it's socially acceptable in other places and it's not so socially acceptable in the West. And that's, that's unfortunate. Um, people feel like if I'm not, you know, over this in a couple of weeks, then there must be something wrong with me. And I just don't see that. Yeah. It's so true. It's supposed to be so neat and tidy, right? Um, as you mentioned there, but I actually met someone uh, a few years ago and she has done remarkable work in terms of recreating her life after her husband passed away. But she mentioned that sometimes she needs a, a, a Steve day. So where she just, you know, needs to stay in her pajamas and look at albums and just, and just those feelings, um, just, you know, embrace those feelings, right? The next day she feels lighter and she gets back to her life. So and this is uh, a good decade after her husband passed away. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love that. Yeah, just take some time. Uh, I'll make a plug for, for someone I interviewed a few years ago. David Kessler is his name. And he worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. He was uh, kind of a protege of hers. Um, 
and he's he's around and uh, mm. he wrote a book called Finding Meaning, the sixth stage of grief, which where he talks about the importance of, you know, not just going through all the emotional processes, but also trying to find meaning in the grief and mm. figuring out like what what am I learning about myself through this? What am I learning about the value of life or about, uh, you know, how to live my life Kind of how to kind of integrate um, the pain into something that's more constructive and, and, and positive for you. So I really like oh. that idea. Yeah. Yeah. It helps. And I think it just shows too, right? Um, uh, grief, it can definitely be subjective. And I like how you brought something else forward there. Cause I think that'll help a lot of people. Yes. David Kessler, finding Who is the hockey player. For, did you already say that? No. He's a hockey player? The Ryan Kessler? Oh, no, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, disregard. I thought you were talking about. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, he wrote a book? I Joanna thought he was the... about a Vancouver Canuck. <laughs> Joanna, the avid uh, Canuck fan. Now. Yeah, who clearly it shows. Or, he's not a Canuck anymore, and that's probably a good thing. Oh, man. Oh, this is David Never Kessler. Never mind. The uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross protege, who's a psychotherapist somewhere in the United States. So, yes, okay. I think he's a hockey player. He may no, he's be. definitely not. Maybe that's his brother. He was at the symposium there. Yeah, he was at the uh, psychotherapy yeah. symposium. Yeah, very knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. He certainly was. Right, right. Okay. So, um, so to get practical here with our, our final part of this ambush question, um, what strategies can you suggest to assist with grief? What can we do to actually help people? Maybe there's someone listening to us right now who's, who's dealing with grief. What can we share with them to help them through that process? Um, I, I think that's a tough question. I'm supposed to lean in here. So I think that's a tough question because it, I feel like COVID grief, while it is grief, might be different than a grief of like a close loved one. Sure. So, Somebody loses a loved one um, or goes through something more interpersonal, then I'm a big fan of like writing the letter that you never sent mm. um, or talking to the person, whether it be out loud or, or just in your imagination or having a visit with them, kind of like a wiser self activity. Imagine yourself going and meeting them somewhere that you feel is safe and comfortable and having a conversation with them. And What's a wiser um, self activity? Back up there. What's that? Oh, good call, Ryan. So the wiser self activity, it's um, a meditation or a mindfulness exercise that you can do where you visualize walking into an area. You could visualize what that is, if it's a garden or a path or a building or whatever it might be. um, And you come across an area, a dwelling of some sort, and you imagine your wiser self coming out to greet you Mm. and you take note of your wiser self. So what they look like, how old they are, how they greet you, how they stand, what they're wearing. And, and you imagine having a conversation with them and you can ask them about a hard time that you're having and, and listen to the advice that their, your wiser self gives you um, as you move forward. And, Mm. and then you can come walk away. So sometimes you can have a little visit like that, right? If it's an interpersonal loss, Um, but a COVID loss, I feel is a, might be a little bit different than that right so whether that's I, I think there's a lot of feeling the feels that need to happen with it and sure. management of those emotions and um trying to live for the moment in the day and what's in my control right now what can i do 
what what do I need to do that might I might not want to do, but I I know is good for me. Those things which I know we've talked about a few times already, sort of. Yeah. I like this. Yeah. The wiser self. Yeah. I think um, I would just I think there's a few different things. I would just make note that just be kind to yourself. I think whatever you're going to be experiencing, um, just allow yourself some time to kind of suss that out a little bit. Um, I would encourage yourself to talk. If you don't feel like talking, uh, like Brooke said, some kind of writing would be good. Uh, having a, a journal or whatever you want to call it uh, could be helpful. Um, when it comes to people around you, I encourage you to teach people how to support you. Um, I think some people get pretty weird around grief. They don't know what to say to the person who has had a significant loss in their life. Um, so, um, you know, so I might be like, you know what, I need you to check in with me, or I'd like you to check in with me maybe every week or see how I'm doing. I might not want to talk, but maybe just reach out to me um, or ask me to go for a walk. Um, so, um, or just listen, I just need you to hear me out. You don't need to say something to make it better. So I think people welcome that to just, um, so if you know someone who's ever, who's experienced a loss, ask them, just how can I help you? Um, just call attention to it. I, it. They will probably receive it generally well. Um, and if you're the one experiencing a loss, just don't be afraid to ask or kind of teach people how to support you. That's so all. That, right no, Joanna, may I add something? Yeah. So for the support people, not just the person going through grief, but the people supporting the person through grief, um, I learned this lesson actually from your mom, Chris and Joanna. Uh, so there, our practice used to have uh, another clinician named Tina, and she was going through some struggles, and um, she's passed away now, but she shared with us that some of the things that were most helpful to her were things that your mom was doing, which was instead of Tina having to say what she needed, your mom would just do stuff, and, and respectfully so. So it wouldn't be in a pushy way, but if she knew she had an appointment coming, she would say, do you have a ride? I'd love to drive you. Mm. Or, oh, I'm going to be in the neighborhood. I'd love to drop by and drop this off for you. So it was um, opposed to Tina coming up with something to say. Yeah. Or something that she needed help with. Um, your mom was able to come up with things that seemed reasonable in that moment and offer it directly, which made it easier for Tina to say, yes, I would like that assistance. Uh, and, and that always stuck with me. So any friends that have gone through things, I'm like, I'm going to come over and I'm going to help you with your laundry. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want me there, tell me and I'll leave. And I'm going to bring some food for your freezer. Yeah. I'm going to drop off that coffee or yeah. yeah, let's go for a walk. I'll be by this afternoon or. Yeah. And if you really don't want to, please say no, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to come over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for myself, um, my uh, my condo burnt down years ago, and uh, didn't have content insurance either. I was playing the odds. I don't recommend that for anyone who's listening to this. Um, but lost everything but a Jordi LaForge decorative plate and my uh, picture of my friend Kyle. So what else do you need to restart your life? But um, so kind of a more of a it's not a, an attachment loss, but I guess uh, obviously items of mine. And uh, I felt a couple of things helped me out. One is be, uh, focusing on the essentials. So the sleep, the nutrition, the exercise, connecting to positive people. Um, so I found that helped me out in that circumstance. When it comes to losing people, I care about more of an attachment loss. 
a couple of things have helped me out too is telling stories, right? So speak their name and and um, I just feel mm-hmm. when you laugh together and connect together, you feel a lot lighter after, which is nice. And also I try to think of the values and traits that that person had and try to change the way I'm living my life because of that. So if I embody some of those values and, and try to live differently because of the influence of that person, then they kind of live on through my actions, right? Mm-hmm. So nice. just a couple of thoughts. And I'll quickly make note, I think as, as good as it is to um, kind of feel the feels and do all these different things we're talking about, sometimes after a bit of time, it's good to kind of find some routine and go back to some kind of um, way of life for yourself, even though, because um, that could help bring distraction, because as good as it is to feel your feelings, you don't want to just be sitting in, in them all day for days and weeks at a time, like, I'm, not days, maybe weeks, months at a time. So I think there's some whenever it fits in there for you individually to start getting some routine back and yeah yeah. you know routine is key well this uh, my comment's a little bit (laughs) kind of backwards from from joe's but uh but i'm speaking to the people who are saying like after a day of of being tearful they're saying this is enough i should be done by this done with this by now and i just know a lot of folks like that and particularly it's guys like it's okay to cry. It's all right Mm -hmm. to cry. It's okay to cry and to cry a lot. And if you think you're crying too much, well then cry twice that much. And then ask that same question. Like crying is good. Crying is so good. Mm -hmm. It's so cleansing. It's so healing. It's so good for you. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're an ugly crier or if you're a, Attractive. I know. I was like, I'm, I'm pointing to myself. I'm definitely. <laughs> is she laughing? Is she crying? Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Doesn't matter. But there's there's so much to be said for the expression of that emotion. And and if you've if you've ever been able to experience the 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 relief of a very good cry, just a just ugh, I got it off my chest. That is that is possible through grief, and uh, you know you may have to cry a lot of tears to get there, but it's okay. But then you know after after a while, yes, Joe, I agree that you have to get back to a routine and and keep moving on because uh, you can't stay there forever, right? Oh yeah, and that's definitely there's no time limit or expectation on that. It's very much I encourage the crying and the acknowledging. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Ryan. Well, this was a very helpful podcast here chris thank you for the ambush this is very nice way to go chris very timely doing a happy dance really did it you no did. a good uh, good discussion some some great ideas yes i thought it was very very nice nice to hear different perspectives and kind of learn kind of revisit the stages of grief and i want to hear about those three from from you there brooke it's a big topic it is a big topic and not an easy one for a lot of people so no so I guess maybe we could say, if you are listening to this and if you've experienced some grief, maybe you don't even know if you've experienced grief, you know, maybe, maybe it's kind of passed you by that there's been some grief in this whole isolation uh, time, but maybe take a look at yourself and see if you're grieving, give yourself some space for that. Let yourself process that, you know, give yourself time to, uh, to move through that in a healthy way. So. With that, we will say goodbye for now. Uh, visit us at uh, mentalhealthbootcamp.com. Send us an email at info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. Check us out on Instagram or on Facebook. And send us any questions. And send us any questions you have, and we will say goodnight for now. Bye.
Bye, everybody. Good night. Bye, everyone. Good night, everybody. Toodles. Bye. <laughs>